4 o'clock football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Company take over on a Thursday afternoon from Silver 7's Adam Hill. Along with me, Adam Candy, Ari, back at the Finley Toyota Studios. As we roll along with our NFL preview, the Seattle Seahawks ranked number 12 in our consensus preseason rankings. Adam, where did you have the Seahawks? Uh, I think it was around 14 or 15. Pretty right. low. Yeah, it honestly sounds about right. You've got a high-level quarterback. You have some talent at the wide receiver position. Then you have some questions about philosophy and uh, some questions about what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball as well. Let's go up to Seattle. Talk to Stacey Rosts from ESPN 710 in Seattle. Uh, host and writer 12, again, the consensus preseason Cofield and Company rankings. Uh, Stacy, what's happening? Hey, Adam, and also Adam, both Adam. <laughs> we, we try to make it easy for you. Uh, we try to keep the host names the same so you know uh, you can't be wrong. Yeah, it's good for us. Um, we went into this offseason with the Seahawks and kind of got a, a bit of a surprise with all of the Russell Wilson trade drama that mm-hmm. uh, we went through with the request and whether it would be honored at all. Um, is all of the water under the bridge at this point in that situation? That's a million-dollar question for this season, isn't it? I think that if this is a team that something happens, and I expect their floor to be, like, contending for a wild card. To me, that's their floor. If somehow they dip below that and they don't make the playoffs, you can bet that this conversation is coming up all over again. I mean, if anything ends with this season that plays into the things Russell Wilson was complaining about, we will be once again talking about whether he wants to be in Seattle or not. Um, I think that right now it is, it is under the bridge, so not completely. I think it's been uh, solidly set to another table. Like, I would not expect it to rear its head during the season uh, at, at any point. There are some philosophical battles that I think um, I'm personally expecting to potentially pop up. Um, one could be Pete Carroll cares about protecting the football more than anything else. Protect the ball. It's why he loves running the ball. In addition to just the tone that he wants to set on offense, It's also easier to have ball security. You inherently risk ball security when you pass more often, and Russell Wilson is going to want to attack, and a more efficient and kind of attacking offense is going to be one that passes a little bit more. Seattle actually ended the season last year still being pretty pass-heavy on first down, more so than they ever have before. Um, But what's going to happen if they start out and they make some mistakes with a new offense? You know what I mean? Are you going to have Pete Carroll taking the reins back? It's a it's a great question, and how much in your mind? I mean, it's impossible to read minds, but how much does that play into Pete Carroll's decision making? Of, well, I want to run the ball, I want to tell them to run the ball, but I also want right. Russell Wilson to stay here next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that um, I, it, it'll be fascinating. Me and my co-host uh, disagree a little bit on this. I think that Pete Carroll is going to be a little more involved. He thinks that Pete Carroll will learn to give up the reins a little bit with this offensive coordinator in particular, whether it's with Russell Wilson in his 10th season and with a little bit more of a say in how the offense is going to be run. I'm not sure. Maybe Pete Carroll feels like the defense where it is right now deserves more of his attention. 
he feels like Pete Carroll will will be more hands-off this year than he has ever before in years past. I, I just have a hard time seeing it happen. I, I really do, to be totally honest. But I think it all depends on how successful Shane Waldron's offense is going to be. If they hit the ground running and, you know, let's even say it takes them three weeks and then they're looking pretty solid, as long as they are winning and protecting the football, Pete Carroll will be fine. Stacey Ross joins us from ESPN 710 in Seattle talking about the Seahawks. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the new offensive coordinator in, in Shane Waldron comes in from the Rams and from an offense that tempo-wise is a bit different than what we're used to from Seattle and, and from Russell Wilson. How has Russ and how have the receivers been adjusting to a little bit more of a quick passing game than they're used to? Uh, it's been interesting. I mean, in training camp, you started to see, you haven't seen any of the starters in the preseason yet. In training camp, there is more of an intermediate pass. Um, you're seeing a little more up tempo. It's not over the top, but I don't think they fully rolled it kind of all out yet. Um, it'll be different. I mean, it'll be a different offense than I think you've ever seen Russell Wilson play in in his life before, right? He excels with the deep ball. They love play action, that kind of West Coast style offense. This is still going to borrow a lot of those elements. You never want to take the deep ball away from Russell Wilson, not when you have DK Metcalf, not when you have Tyler Lockett and one of the best deep ball, deep ball throwers in the league. But your biggest problem last year was that you were getting two high safety looks and all you were doing was continue to attack deep. And, and you, your running backs weren't healthy. Your tight ends weren't healthy. You couldn't open up the middle of the field. So you've been seeing them do a lot of that. Um, it's really hard to tell not seeing them in a game, whether they can do so effectively, right? Like, it, you, there is a facet to this that you haven't seen Russell Wilson do a lot. Um, again, my co-host has described it as, like, it hasn't been his major intermediate pass game. It's, it's not been something he's done a lot of. And so you're going to need to wait until the regular season to see if they can make it take off. Um, they've, they've got some good weapons. I mean, they have taken a hit with one of them, Colby Parkinson, Really tall tight end, about 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he was going to be a nice little weapon to help with some of that. Um, he's now injured for, for, I would assume, the first couple weeks of the season with a fractured foot. So um, so they've already gotten a little bit of a, of a hit there in how successful that can be to start the season. But, but I would, yes, overall anticipate those changes. The, the up-tempo, which Russell Wilson already does, he loves. Like, we've seen... Um, there was a, a drive against Cleveland, gosh, I think season before last, when the headsets went out and Russell Wilson called the drive himself. That was the most up-tempo drive I've seen the Seahawks do, and they were so incredibly productive. I know it's one drive against Cleveland, which granted was a pretty solid defense that season, but I think Russell Wilson likes that. I think he prefers it. You're not going to see it used all the time, but we are seeing it more than it has been in years past. Well, how often will the headsets, quote, go out that's my theory. <laughs> my theory is, oh, sorry. I, I, God, Pete, I can't hear you in here. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and call this one, all right? Yeah, you re- you, uh, you actually struck a nerve with me a little bit. I, uh, I actually embedded in Kobe Parkinson's combine prep camp last year in, uh, in the Bay Area, and he is an unbelievable kid. So I'm, I'm really cheering for him to have success, and it looked like he was uh, maybe on the verge of breakout. So hopefully, yeah. uh, he, hopefully he does get healthy soon he's uh he's definitely somebody to root for uh for a lot of people uh but we're you know in talking about the Seahawks and getting ready for the season um I get in some incredibly nerdy debates uh with fantasy football players and I love every second of it 
but I cannot tell you the amount of text message arguments I've been in about Rashad Penny, which is <laughs> insane. Uh, but at some point, like they have to find a role for him, right? If he can ever stay well, healthy. Yeah, well, that's the problem. The role right now, like if you told me bet money on what the roster is going to look like, I would still bet on Rashad Penny as your second running back. Um, he's he's not. Alex Collins is going to be more of like I'm guessing. This is my assumption. Your third down back. I mean, Chris Carson can be an every down guy. Alex Collins doesn't have quite as much speed as a healthy Rashad Penny. Um, so. So he's going to be more of like maybe you're at the goal line. If you're not going to give it to Carson, try Alex Collins there. Rashad Penny, on paper, could have been an every down back. Like, he was supposed to be interchangeable with Chris Carson. Has not been able to stay on the field. This is a guy that didn't break a bone in high school or college and somehow, like, breaks his finger and needs surgery in his first training camp with Seattle and since then hasn't played a full season. Hasn't even played a good portion of his season. And... God, I think I think has maybe like 800 collective like career yards with Seattle. So the thing is with with Rashad Penny, we all know what his ceiling looks like. This is a guy that rushed for over 2,000 yards at San Diego State, who was fifth in Heisman voting, and who the Seahawks fell in love with in terms of his versatility on special teams as well. He hasn't once really been able to be that guy in Seattle, and it's kind of maddening because this is also a team that. Alex Collins is a great example, though not as high profile. They released him. They didn't, when he was here, see the college version of him. He goes to Baltimore and then has like a 1,000-yard season. So I don't think they want to risk anything like that happening with Penny. I don't expect him to go anywhere, but he hasn't really shown you that he can be that guy. And he has shed a little bit of weight this year. He's dropped uh, probably about six or seven pounds. He looks lean. He missed a couple days of camp before that, and I know that it's the preseason and everyone says that. Before that, he did look pretty solid in camp, had a couple great moments. So I think that this season is make or break, not just for his future in Seattle, potentially his future as a starter with any team in the league. Stacey, we'll let you go on this question. Um, We know who Bobby Wagner is. We know who Jamal Adams is, and those are two pretty impressive brand names to have leading your defense Uh, we don't know as many of the other names on the seattle defense as we have in past years coming to this year what do you expect on that side of the ball oh man um i'm still expecting early struggles from the secondary particularly the cornerbacks i'm going to be really honest i haven't seen um anything in training camp or in preseason games so far that's made me think that that position is a lock and I continue to think it's a liability um, if there's one good thing one of the corners uh, Witherspoon did get a pick the other day in camp and it was a beautiful play so maybe that's not a sign of him becoming accustomed to uh, you know camp and, and the defense and, and more bad throw whatever it is I, I haven't seen enough yet and I need to see more plays on the ball so if your fears as a Seahawks fan or not a Seahawks fan is that the cornerback room isn't locked up I don't know that they're going to change your mind early. Um, What I'll say is I do think the defensive line can be a little bit deeper than people expect. It has no young proven talent, but but a lot of bodies, if that makes sense, like a lot of potential. And uh, Carlos Dunlap has looked fantastic. I think people are really quick to write off older players. And, and they just think, like, oh, this is the guy that's being brought in as veteran presence. No, he has looked so good in camp, and I think he's going to be a huge impact for them. Uh, I think that you've got uh, a guy like Daryl Taylor, another name that was almost a first-round pick. They almost took him in the first round. 
he's made a couple rookie mistakes, and you're probably going to see them in the regular season. But he and Jordan Brooks, the linebacker on the other side, have solid speed. They are fast, hard-hitting guys, particularly Brooks. And Brooks is probably who I'd choose for a breakout candidate of any of those guys. All right, Stacey, I lied because it's Vegas, and, of course, we have to ask you a betting question, so i got to throw it to my partner. <laughs> yeah. So we, ha- we follow or we, uh, we end every single interview with these team previews with uh, a question of would you bet the over or the under on the season wins? Seattle is 9.5. It's actually third in the Ooh. division. The 49ers wow. and Rams both at 10.5. Seattle 9.5. I think, based on what we heard, that you're going over, but you have the floor now, 9.5. Uh, I am going over. I'm, I, I'm not uh, betting on them to win their division. They're in the toughest one. They've got to figure out that secondary. But, but I think the over. I mean, Russell Wilson and the rest of that offense has looked solid. If they can figure it out early enough to where they don't risk early season losses, particularly in their own division, I think in week five or six or around there, they're good for at least 10 wins. Stacy Rost host and writer at ESPN 710 Seattle. We appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the rest of the two weeks of quiet time, I guess, until the season gets here. All right. Thanks, Adams. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you to Adams. I'll tell you what, Adam. Uh, on the East Coast, there are books that have a 10 up on Seattle. Uh, you're going to put – you're going to give yeah, me nine, protection nine and a half. 10? The nine and a half I saw was like minus one thirty-five to the over. So this yeah, was this sense. was ten minus one twenty on the over. Like wow, a, a, even money ten under. Like I, you're gonna give me protection at ten. I'm probably gonna take the Seattle team under. Yeah, I mean I actually like Seattle. I, I, the division is so tough, man. That's like, the thing. Of That's you know you have you have six games that are tough. Like you know those are those could go either way. I mean not that they are they're gonna not win any, but like all of them are pretty much. You know, toss-ups in that division. So now you've only got eleven other games where you can really find your victories. It's it's brutal in the, in the NFC West for sure. Well, when we come back here on Cofield and Company, we're going to switch gears over to the AFC East. We're still talking about vaccines in Buffalo. We know the NFL wants a mandate. We know the Players Association doesn't. Our legal insider Justin Watkins is going to talk about whether they can actually do it. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company, Thursday afternoon from Silver 7's William Hill Sportsbook. Adam Hill, Adam Candy, Ari, as Steve Cofield relaxes on the other coast. We're joined by Justin Watkins, our legal insider from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You, of course, know where you can find Justin, but in case you don't, 702-570-9000 or Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Justin, what's happening, man? How you doing? Doing good, guys. You know, well-deserved uh, reprieve for Steve. You know, get refreshed for the football season. Good timing. Yeah. 
well deserved. Well deserved is an interesting. Yeah, it's just, I, mean, I don't know really what I mean, if we really want to get into a conversation about what Cofield deserves. That could be a whole uh, <laughs> whole segment unto itself. Uh, Justin, lots to get to uh, this afternoon. Um, this Buffalo Bills team has the roster to be very good, and yet they seem to be about as vocal and as let's say unsettled as any team when it comes to their COVID and the vaccine situation. Uh, fines announced today for Isaiah McKenzie and for Cole Beasley. Uh, shocker, Cole Beasley, who's been about as vocally anti-vaccine uh, as anyone. Uh, both players announced their fines they received from the NFL for not wearing masks as required in the facility. NFL said 93% of its players are vaccinated, but that they also still would like to be able to enforce a mandate that the Players Association is against. Now, we know that coming into this season uh, that the Players Association and the NFL agreed on all of the COVID protocols. Um, do you think there's any chance at this point that the NFL might still be able to go back and get the mandate that it wants? Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult, right? Because uh, you're going to have the Players Association split I mean, the players in the association that make up the association split on this stuff. You have vocal people like Cole Beasley. Obviously, it has been a struggle to get vaccinations up to the level it's been. And now I think you have different camps within the players themselves entrenched in their positions as it pertains to not only getting the vaccine, but, you know, how real, quote-unquote, COVID is and whether or not masks matter and all the different mandates. And so I, while I think the NFL and maybe even the higher-ups in the Players Association, the, the, the representatives themselves, probably agree on what could be good policy, I don't know that you'll get it to sign off on the players themselves on a full vote. Um, and I don't think the players want that infighting. So I, I think they're kind of stuck with where they're at right now. Yeah, the, the whole uh, the whole thing is, is crazy, and, and we've – Heard so many different talks, not only about players and and owners and the PA and the and the league, uh, but also now fans getting upset at teams. Like all these things that are going on, how much is going to actually go to court battles, and how much is just going to be people working things out? Because it seems like it's going. By the time some of these things are worked out, like we might, knock on wood, be through this in like you know three years. <laughs> Uh, I don't think any sort of I don't think you're going to see anything significant in court in regards to what COVID policies are uh, instituted and what are enforced versus what people perceive their rights to be under the situation. First off, any players that think their rights have been violated are going to go through the collective bargaining process, arbitration, what have you. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, whether or not there's vaccines or masks or mask mandates or, or, or any of the other things that are outside of the collectively bargained protocol, those aren't, we're not talking about fundamental rights. The, the right to, you know, for private enterprise or even public enterprise to require vaccines is well-settled law. You're not going to win that. You know, you're not even going to get past the first stage of dismissal if you were to try to file a, a lawsuit connected with that. I ultimately think at the end of the day, there's not going to be any significant legal challenges in relation to, to any of this stuff. Um, you know, I think it's just going to be a time period where the courts basically said everybody did the best that they could with the knowledge that they had, and none of it pertains to fundamental rights being infringed upon. We're moving on.
That is Justin Watkins. Always, always sets us straight on the legal issues that are going on. I, I will say about this story, I'm going to provide caveats before we get into this. Uh, one, I know less than zero about this topic, which is breastfeeding. Uh, I know nothing about children, nothing about it. Uh, and the other caveat here is I am making up a hypothetical about this situation to ask you about. So I'm going to get those two out of the way, first of all. Uh, here, here is the story. Uh, Urban Meyer apparently told all of his players in Jacksonville, uh, you know, when you have an issue, anything that's going on in your life that you need help with, give me a call. Call me. I'm the guy. I'm your guy. Which, first of all, I think is a huge problem because uh, that's what he's done at Florida and Ohio State. When guys are in trouble with the law, they just call him and he gets them out of it. That's an issue already. But that's not what this is about. This is about Josh Allen, the defensive end for the Jaguars, not the quarterback. Josh Allen and his wife had their first child. They are in the hospital. They want to exclusively breastfeed their child. The nurses and the doctors are telling them, well, it's actually better uh, if there's a formula that has some other nutrients. Like, that's how we're going to feed this child, a combination of those things. Josh Allen and his wife are upset about this. They don't like it. Uh, they're not comfortable with it. They had made their decision of how they want to have their child, and they were frustrated. So Josh Allen called Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer called the CEO of the hospital and got him to convince the nurses and the doctors to allow Josh Allen and his wife to do it the way they wanted. Okay, sounds like a nice story on its surface. Urban Meyer helped them out what they wanted to do, and I think parents should have the decision to do what they want to do. My question is, I don't know what the doctors and nurses were saying i don't know what was going on to me if they were saying hey listen this child was born with some needs you know he needs certain nutrients or the child needs certain vitamins or something that you're not going to get out of the out of breastfeeding right away this is how it needs to be treated and now we're interfering with like the medical community and the medical information that's being given to this family like is there problems here like can we have coaches stepping in with hospital treatments well, ultimately, at the end of the day, right, the CEO is making the call there. I don't see anything legally wrong with this. I actually have some experience in this. Obviously, I've had two children. Um, and not to get too too graphic with it, <laughs> our experience was the opposite in that my wife had C-sections. And for those who know, when you have C-section, um, like immediate breastfeeding is not really a possibility. The body hasn't had that sort of reaction yet because... It was a scheduled C-section. Anyway, they tried to like force bottle or they tried to force breastfeeding on us when we wanted the bottle feed. We we're like, we can't get that. You know, we need the bottle. We need the formula. Um, so ultimately, at the end of the day, this I think is a battle that many people have, and I don't always think it has anything to do. I don't know the situation, but I don't think it has anything to do with a lot of time uh, with the actual medical necessities it's that these hospitals have different preferences you'll find that the in general that the religious hospitals religious based hospitals uh, are going to encourage natural breastfeeding and that some others may not and, and they may encourage formula because they believe that they can provide other nutrients that the natural breast milk does not 
as long as the CEO of the hospital is directing people to do things that are in the best health of the child, then I don't see any sort of problem here. And I don't, I certainly don't see it coming back on Urban Meyer because he doesn't, he's not qualified to say what's in the best interest of the child. If he's relaying the concerns of the parents to the CEO and the CEO is like, oh, we shouldn't be doing that. Talk to the doctor. Is there any medical reason why they can't? No. Okay. Then don't do it. And, and, and that's how it works out. Then I, then I think your first instinct's right. It's a feel-good story of somebody who's, you know, running ha, ha, is out of resources, out of options, wants something to change, and finds a way to get it done. So if something goes wrong, Josh Allen can't go to Urban Meyer and be like, why did you interfere, even though I asked you to? <laughs> why did you interfere with this? The question is, though, so there, there is a real legal question here is, and that's where does a parent's right to make decisions on behalf of their child and when it becomes so harmful, right? And we've seen this, like, it would, there are religions out there that, in which they don't believe in blood transfusion, right? And so a, a newborn baby happens, they need a blood transfusion, the parent says, no, it's against our religion, do not give that baby a blood transfusion, and the baby dies. Is that child neglect? That, these cases have happened. They have worked themselves through the system, and the answer is no in that instance. The parents have the right to uh, adhere to uh, good faith-held religious beliefs and the medical practices that are associated therewith, even if it results in harm to the child. But, but generally speaking, if it's not in that, in that realm and they want to do something that's against all medical advice, all reason, um, can they override the parents' wishes? They can. They have panels at the hospitals to review those sort of situations. It's not just a doctor that makes that call. It's the whole hospital, um, and they have procedures for doing so. Very rare, but it happens. I think we're going to have Ari throw a poll up at ESPN Las Vegas on breastfeeding versus. <laughs> oh, he, I, that was the best. Part. The best part is that we're on video, and I just watched Ari go diving for the magic marker for the board to write that down. No, Ari, we're not really <laughs> going to do that poll. Uh, Justin Watkins stays with us uh, here after the break. Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 5709000 for all your legal needs. Uh, speaking of religious-based, can a school fire a coach for being gay? We're going to talk about it when we come back. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Adam's family takeover, Cofield and Company rolling along with Justin Watkins, our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, 5709000 from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Uh, all right, Justin, we teased this uh, before. The break, uh, this story is actually one that Ari flagged for us. Colorado high school coach says he was forced to resign because he's gay. Enoke Tonga, volleyball coach at Valor Christian High School in Highlands Ranch, said that he was called in by the administration and given two choices, either denounce his sexuality or resign. Said he was belittled by administrators for 90 minutes and walked out of the room knowing his days at the school were over. So... 
let's start right there, Justin. Uh, does a private school have the right to make the sexuality of one of its employees an issue in their employment? So the answer is not always, depending on the basis of the private school. Now, if they are a private school and they are secular, non-religious school that accepts federal dollars, then they could be susceptible to federal law, or they are susceptible to federal law uh, in, in, in regards to anti-discrimination. But if you'll remember, sexual orientation is not actually one of the original protected classes of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, but is considered a, uh, a modified protected class under certain situations. And so depending on the job duties and, and what's going on, the, there may be a discrimination claim. But big exception here. When the school is secular, or I'm sorry, non-secular, it is religious school and and a faith-based school, the Supreme Court of the United States has actually weighed in on this issue a number of times, as recently as last year, and said that it doesn't matter, even if they get federal funding or not, a faith-based school can outwardly discriminate against the protected classes of all kinds for ministry-based jobs, and in that situation, in the most recent cases in 2020, those jobs considered ministry-based were teaching jobs. So I would, I would assume that this Supreme Court would say coaching and teaching jobs would both be ministry-based, that they have to do with the faith and the overall uh, direction and teachings of the school, and therefore they can discriminate based on sexual orientation. They can discriminate based on religion. If you're the wrong religion and you're going to a Christian school, if you're a Muslim, they could fire you because you're Muslim. And I think that the Supreme Court would protect the school in that situation. I mean, how wide-ranging would that be? What if my religion was racist? <laughs> well, I mean, if the school's religion is racist, and it's a sincerely held religion, right? That's, that's a key component of this. Like fake religions for the purpose of trying to circumvent discrimination laws have been tested in courts and, and struck down. They do, it, it must be a sincerely held religion. But I would assume that the religion is probably sincerely held. If they've gone to the trouble of building a university or a school or a high school associated with that religion, but if it is racist, According to the Supreme Court, I read it as if it's minister-based position, then yes, they can discriminate based on race. Justin Watkins joins us here on ESPN Las Vegas, our legal insider from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Uh, this this story is just bonkers. It's uh, it's hard to read. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to get through. Uh, Ron Jeremy has been indicted on 33 counts of sexual assault by the Los Angeles uh, District Attorney and Grand Jury. He's pled not guilty. It's not the first round of charges against uh, Ron Jeremy. Uh, according to the article here from Deadline, 68-year-old Jeremy faces 12 counts of forcible rape, 7 counts of forcible oral copulation. We can go on and on, and all of them will be worse uh, than the next one. Um, Justin, what's your read on this new round of charges here against Ron Jeremy? 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's obviously in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, I hear, you know, the, the common question is, does this have to do with things that are on tape? Is he being sued for what was not considered uh, a illegal act before and is now considered a legal act? That's not that's not the allegations that are out there. These are different instances that are not in the performance of a pornographic movie. Um, if they were, would they... Um, would he have a defense? I, I think in those situations, yeah, he might have a viable defense if the if the movie was portraying a violent rape and that that was consented to beforehand. Then oh, that okay, he might have a defense that it was all acting and it, there was no rape uh, involved. But that's not that's not that's not the situation we're dealing with here. Um, so ultimately. I mean, these, these charges are bring, brought in California. California now has the most favorable um, sexual assault rape victim laws in the nation. Um, they can go claw back for basically the entire lifetime uh, of the accused. And so I think he's in a lot of trouble here. Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Just confirmed, I have have this from two good sources, that the Law & Sporter podcast, even without Steve Cofield, will go on tonight, uh, 9.30 start. You can find it on the Twitter uh, with Justin and Adam Hill. Adam, uh, I'm sure that you will be ready to fill the enormous shoes of Mr. Cofield. It's going to be the best uh, sure. show of the year. Sure, it'll be the weirdest, <laughs> uh, for sure. I mean, I'm already inventing racist religion, so it's a good start to the day. Yeah, that, that feels like that <laughs> could be any day for you, if we're being honest with ourselves here. Uh, Justin, thanks as always, man, and uh, check out the podcast tonight. All right, thanks, guys. Brad Powers talks week zero. Yes, that is an actual thing. Week zero. <laughs> of college football to get started here in 48 hours when we come back in the Ion Gaming Cofield Company. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Brad Powers. I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about any sort of lead-in that doesn't have Stu, but uh, all right, all right, you, you did it, Ari. I'll, I'll live with it. Cofield and Company, Adam's family takeover. Adam Hill, Adam Candy, no Cofield. We're gonna make the best of it. Brad Powers joins us in the Ion Gaming talk. A little college football. You can find him on Twitter at Brad Powers Seven. BradPowersSports.com is the website. Week zero, my friend. Week zero. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they got lines up on these games, so obviously, you know, anytime you can have some uh, action besides just watching the game, heck yeah. I mean, it's college football. That's my uh, favorite sport, so I know there's not a, there's no you know top twenty five caliber team in action, but uh, you know, if I can bet UTEP, New Mexico State, then then sure, why the heck not? <laughs> yes. 
two, two, of the, two of the bottom ten teams in college football. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, Adam, go for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, let's let's start there. You mentioned it, so you you must uh, you must have a thought on UTEP and New Mexico State. Uh, big game for my dad, who is a uh, Las Cruces native, not native. He's a resident of Las Cruces, and he's excited for this. Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, you know, battle of I ten there. Uh, these schools are relative. You're not you know familiar with geography in that part of the country. I mean, these schools aren't that far apart. It's, uh, you know, decent rivalry, even though they are bottom ten teams in the country. I'm uh, saying that. I mean, it's you know shocking to see UTEP you know favored by ten. Last time the Miners were a double digit road favorite was 2010. So I, you know, me personally, I like playing outliers. Uh, and, you know, the UTEP, even though they won three games a year ago, two were against FCS teams, and the other was against a terrible UL Monroe team. Uh, if the line can, goes off of 10, I lean New Mexico State, but if it's plus 10.5, I can talk myself into a bigger bet on the Aggies. Probably the game that will get the most attention uh, this week is Nebraska and Illinois. This thing opened 9.5 uh, for uh, Nebraska in a lot of spots. It's been pretty steadily bet down here to where it's ticked under six and a half uh, in some spots with the Illini at home, game number one under Brett Bielma. What's your read there? Lean Illinois, although I love my DraftKings bet that they released in May. They released Nebraska 11 and a half. So uh, I'm feeling good about that bet being in front of the line move there. But even at the current number, I lean Illinois. And to me, after watching both teams' spring games, you know, I, I circled it and said I want to bet Illinois in that Week One game at home, as long as they're getting a you know at least a touchdown, if not more, in that game. And the reason being is, that, I mean, Illinois to me, uh, of the 50 spring games I watched, they were one of maybe three, four teams that I came away with a much different perspective in a good way than what I had go, going into it. And a lot of it's just the, the returning experience that Illinois has. I mean, they have 22 super seniors, all scholarship players. That's more than any Power 5 team in the country. Brandon Peters is a solid quarterback, takes care of the football a little bit better, at least recently, than Nebraska's Adrian Martinez. Yeah, Bielema, even though it's his first game, I think they'll be excited there, so I'm going to take Illinois plus that. Hawaii and UCLA. UCLA laying a little bit over 17, 17 and a half. Some 18s have popped up, and the total 68 and a half. So uh, some points expected to be scored here. Yeah, so bet online in June opened up this one, UCLA minus nine. Uh, you can guess which side I bet there. Uh, <laughs> so I love that bet. But I would say the best value bet, at least of the four or five games this weekend, my favorite bet as of right now at the current numbers, would be the under in this game. So I'm going to go under 68.5 Hawaii-UCLA. You look at the two teams' defenses, they return a combined 21 out of a possible 22 starters. I don't think UCLA is going to show their full hand with LSU on deck. Uh, they don't want to go. I, in my opinion, they're not going to go extremely high tempo. And, you know, on the, on the other side, Hawaii outside their quarterback and maybe Calvin Turner, uh, who's kind of a, a guy that can play running back wide receiver, they don't have a lot. This isn't the Hawaii team that, that can open up four or five wide and have a bunch of dangerous, uh, you know, guys at the, at the skill position. So I, I like under 68 and a half. That's a really high total for a week zero game. Does that number ever get to a point, Brad, on Hawaii that you that you would consider it? Because I mean, you talk about nine. I mean, I think I saw as low as as eight. At some some places uh, open now out to what it is now. Could it get to a buy point on Hawaii? Uh, I'd probably wait till twenty 
Uh, my number is right in that 17 half, 18 range. So, I mean, it, it's right at my number right now. So it's going to have to climb a couple more points for me to consider it. I, you know, if you'd asked me that question five, six years ago, I, you know, I was more greasy back then. I would have said, sure, why not? Let's go for the middle. To me, it's tough enough as it is to win. I'll just probably, you know, hopefully I can win that minus nine, but that, that's not even a sure thing. In this industry. Connecticut is traveling all the way across country and I think back in time because I don't think they've played a game in like two years, getting 27 and a half. It's, I've even seen a 28 now popping up uh four touchdowns against fresno state yeah so my numbers like uconn better than any side at least at the current numbers you know right now so my, my number is closer to 23 24 on fresno state usually that would say hey man i i should have a pretty good bet on connecticut here but because of what you guys said i mean i it's not like every year i'm handicapping and power rating teams that haven't played in two years i mean it's just very uncommon so uh, I think this could be a higher variance game. I, you know, watching film from 2019, I, Connecticut. They're, they're, I mean, they're a bottom 10 team in the country, but they got a solid running back that's off back to back thousand yards of the season. They had a solid freshman wide receiver watching the tape. Fresno State will be much improved, but again, this line says they're going to be more like the team that won back to back Mountain. You know, was in the Mountain West Championship game back to back years. So I think 27 and a half. Wait for maybe even a 28. Uh, I, I have a pizza bet on Connecticut. And we finish it up elsewhere in the Mountain West with San Jose State laying 24 at home to Southern Utah. How good do we think this San Jose State defense can be this year? Well, I think they're going to be really good. I mean, obviously they, they changed the, the, you know, the, their entire, entire program because, uh, I mean, San Jose State for several years was as bad as any team at the line of scrimmage. Couldn't run the football. Uh, and couldn't stop the run. And last year, especially on the defense side of the ball, I mean, they became a really good rush defense. And yeah, I mean, they're they're, they're going to be in the mix at least. Uh, you know, best one of the better defenses in the Mountain West. Obviously, San Diego State got, got a really good defense. Wyoming's going to be good. Boise State will be good. So uh, and they'll be in the mix as the best defense in the Mountain West. And they should have no problem here against the Southern Utah team. Even though Southern Utah, to me, I bet on them a lot. In the Spring. This is a team that went one and five, but you know lost those you know, five games by like a combined twenty points. So a lot of close losses, but they'll be overclassed here. San Jose State. The only worry about me betting them is they got USC on deck. Do they really go for it in the second half? Because of everything we mentioned, and I prefer under under fifty six, fifty six and a half. With shop around, uh, under would be my preference in that one. Brad, I know your focus is on uh, the Week Zero games, a couple games on the schedule this week, but I did want to ask uh, preliminary thoughts for next week because there's a game at Allegiant Stadium. BYU and Arizona, well, UNLV is playing here too, but uh, BYU and Arizona are playing at Allegiant Stadium next week. Uh, We have been giving away tickets and maybe keep listening here to the station uh, this week and uh, maybe get your way in to that game next week. But BYU and Arizona, any thoughts uh, a week out from that one? Yeah, you know what? I thought I'd be on Arizona just because BYU's replacing so much production from last year. I mean, it's not often at a school like BYU you're going to yeah, have to replace the you know second overall pick in the NFL draft. But the more I've read about BYU, I'm impressed with their new starting quarterback, Jaron Hall. He's play, He's got some playing experience. They have some weapons at running back and wide receiver. I know the defense loses a lot, but the, the, they still uh, have some you know some some dudes on that side of the ball that. 
an Arizona team that, that by far is the worst team in the Pac-12 with a first-year coach. That they're several years away from even you know competing for a bowl game. So I, I, I was, I thought the number would come like 14 or so, but the fact that it's only like 11. In fact, you can even find a 10 out there at Circa right now. I'm leaning on the BYU side. Brad, before we uh, let you go, tell the folks where they can find all your preview for stuff for college football. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at BradPower7, or you can check out my website at BradPowerSports.com. Always appreciate it. One of the best when it comes to handicapping college football. Brad Powers, thanks, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Big 5 at 5 on the other side. Hey, remember the Bally High Golf Course parking lot and what a boon it was going to be for the Raiders? Huh. They got some interesting things to say, don't they? Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.